0: Welcome back, my veg your bestie. Welcome back, and if you're if you're new here, if you're new to the pod, welcome, welcome. Every week here on Veg Your Best, I try to bring you some sort of vegan inspo, some kind of tip or uh, life tool or connection to the way vegans, vegetarians, and plant based folks are showing up in the world, uh, whether they're stay at home parents food professionals, entrepreneurs, writers, psychologists, health experts, or, as in today's guest, a hypnotist. Today is so fun for me because I get to interview and share a conversation with one of my coaching mentors. And Melissa Tears, who is the founder of the Center for Integrative Hypnosis in New York City and the head trainer there for almost 25 years, also happens to be vegetarian, Melissa has a private hypnosis practice in New York City. She has, uh, She's the c- certified hypnosis instructor for the National Guild of Hypnotists and the International Association of Counselors and Therapists. There is a long list of accomplishments, but Melissa is a certified medical hypnotherapist, an EFT practitioner, a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming, and Melissa uses her own very particular integrative approach to help people make change on both the conscious and unconscious level. Now, over at the Center for Integrative Hypnosis, there are classes in classical and Ericksonian hypnosis, in-depth NLP, energy psychology, mental health coaching, and there is a certification course there, which is endorsed by the International Association of Counselors and Therapists. Melissa is not without a long list of accreditations and professional distinctions. She's actually the recipient of the prestigious Pen & Quill Award from the International Medical and Dental Hypnosis Association for her book, Integrative Hypnosis, a Comprehensive Course in Change, and a newer book, The Anti-Anxiety Toolkit, Subtitle is Rapid Techniques to Rewire Your Brain, and that's become a favorite among mental health clinicians across the country and among many coaches. Because um, I'll tell you, my experience with Melissa is that earlier this year, uh, she had created an amazing coaching course with Simone Soul, and I went through it the beginning of the year, and it is now open for enrollment again to begin in September 2020. Twenty-three. So next month, if you're listening to this podcast when it drops, and we don't really discuss the course in today's conversation, because I don't know if that's what you want to hear about. And I don't know if it's my place to do so. But if Melissa's personality and vibe and commitment to helping people make change in their lives, by coaching the unconscious mind, if that's got you a little curious, I'm going to have the links in the show notes for her upcoming course. And this must be said, heads up for anyone who does not want to hear what used to be called expletives back in the 70s, Melissa drops some F-bombs here. So this is your warning. This is your warning. It may not be a suitable uh, podcast to listen aloud at work or with young people around or with people who are just sensitive to the word. So are you intrigued? (laughs) Are you intrigued? And full disclosure, the name of her coaching course actually contains the F-word because I think that's wise of her, because if you're not interested in hearing it, it might not be the coaching course for you. But anyway, here we go. Melissa Tears, welcome to Veg Your Best Podcast.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's a delight for me. You know, um, for my listeners, I, I will have done an introduction Uh, So they'll know a little bit about you, Melissa. But the reason I want you on is because I know that you are um, an expert in your field in terms of helping people um, change patterns, change things in their lives. You uh, help all sorts of um, therapists and physicians, and you work in a variety of modalities with a variety of people, but you are also vegan. And um, I want to hear that story. But I also we were just talking a little bit about the idea of hypnosis. And I say very often, I feel like our culture has been hypnotized not to see what's going on with animals.
1: Right. And you know, I'm going to say this, I agree, right. Obviously, you and I both know uh, what what hypnosis is and isn't. So it makes sense to us. But for the broader you know population, um, they have certain neuro associations connected to the word hypnosis, you know, thank you, Hollywood, and TV and popular culture in general. And so I find that maybe it's not as useful a term because it is another way of creating distance, right? Because hypnosis is something that happens to other people or it's something weird over there. What I like to think of this as is, you know, being conditioned, being manipulated, on a grand scale, right? There's, there's um, a lot of research uh, into certain um, levels of manipulation that's used that creates internal cognitive dissonance within us, and you know, I teach about <laughs> unconscious biases. Heuristics and ways of making ourselves okay, right? So one of the biggest um, things that that happens with people that eat meat, and you know, I have um, two vegan sisters. I have a brother who, although was you know vegetarian for different points in his life, is now not. Uh, he raised his three daughters to not be vegetarian. Um, My daughter is a vegetarian, but actually not completely. She eats uh, chicken, you know, so that is her, her meat that she eats. Not so much, but, but, you know, but she seems to be able to uh, create that little compartmentalization in her mind so that she still considers herself to be an animal lover. You know, she's never had pig or cow or. Things like that, which in her mind are animals that she loves. Mm. Chickens, she puts in a separate category, right? We all have these little lines that we draw to make what we do okay and congruent with our sense of self. And so back to how we're being conditioned, right? I mean, you have to look at the the lobbying, the, the amount of money that the meat dairy, poultry industry spends on their campaigns so that we are convinced, people are convinced that they need to eat meat. Like their body depends on it. We need protein at every meal. That is what your average person really believes. I have arguments with my brother. I'm like, you know, he's got a a three-year-old. And he's like, Oh, she needs to have some meat. I'm like, fuck off.
0: Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's <laughs> gonna be that's gonna be an introduction to Melissa. <laughs> but
1: you know what I mean? And we have right. to have
0: this conversation
1: where I sent him a chart, right? I'm like, you actually have a three-year-old that likes beans. When my daughter was little, she just she she wouldn't even eat them. Right. I had to disguise them on every level. I had to do very creative tricks around, you know, making smoothies and soups blended, you know, and things like that, so that she wouldn't know what she was eating. It's so funny, but my niece loves them and lentils and lentil stew. And I try, I have to send him the research, the comparative studies on what is a healthier, cleaner protein for the body to take. But that's just one of the messages that you need um, meat. And that we we just by using the word meat instead of animals. Right, cow, pig. Cow, pig. You know, he would never say that to his little daughter. He would never say, here, have a bite of cow. Have a bite of pig. And what's funny is my brother was the one, I think I was about four or five years old, when we were sitting at the table, there's five kids, right? Sitting at the table. And he says, that's a moo cow, because I used to call them moo cows, right? Mm -hmm. I was little. And in that moment, the horror of it hit me, and I wouldn't eat it. And I remember my parents, you know, being like, you can't leave the table until you eat it. And I sat there. Now, obviously, in my recollection, and I've te- I've taught you all about memory reconsolidation. Mm. So you know the fallibility of every single memory we think we, we remember. But to my young mind, I felt like I was there forever. It was probably just a half hour. But to a four-year-old sitting there facing a plate and being told they can't get up from the table until they eat and holding my ground and not eating it until I was told to just, you know, go, go up to my room or whatever. That started something with me. So from then on, I was not, I was kept out of the kitchen if meat or chicken or something was being cooked, because if I saw it, I wouldn't eat it. If I saw it in its raw form, I wouldn't eat it. So You know, very early on, I was overly, I was sensitized to this concept, to this idea. And, you know, I think my first bout of, you know, taking control of my, you know, life, uh, maybe I was 11, 12, when I just refused to eat meat. Now, back then, (laughs) that wasn't, that was a long time ago. I'm 56 years old, you know? we're talking about a long time ago when there weren't the beyond burgers, impossible burgers, you know, it's like I existed on, you know, whatever I could, which, which then of course, you know, as even a growing up at 16, eating falafels and pizza and, you know, um, I wasn't vegan, obviously that was way too difficult, but I was vegetarian and then became very anemic. And you know, because no, I had no one to teach me. It was a fringe thing. I was looked at as, as, you know, strange and weird. And when you go over to your friend's house and you go to have dinner, but you're not, you know, you're basically eating whatever side dish they had. You were always kind of ostracized. And you had to have an internal strength that most young kids, you know, kind of don't have, unfortunately. Right. So- It started for me from my brother pointing out what that dish was. And I feel like looking at adults, right? My mother has gone through patches where if I say to her, do you know, like I show her a video of pigs, you know, um, doing something funny or people that have them as pets. And she'll be like, Oh my God, I'm never going to eat bacon again. But that, quickly changes, right? Like over a week's time, she can once again put that stuff, that knowledge, that knowing back into some little box that nobody wants to open the lid and look at.
0: So what is that, Melissa? Because I think I think what you're saying is why I have a lot of compassion and I'm not very judgmental about this because I know I came to this late. I know the just learning... A- to be vegan, that practice has made me so much more compassionate. What else don't I know, right? This is what I always think. What else am I not seeing? What else am I not paying attention to?
1: Well, there are definitely research studies to indicate, right, that the cognitive dissonance from people that consider themselves an animal lover, Mm. but that still eat, the cognitive dissonance is too hard to face, right? So that they don't face it we have ways of compartmentalizing it of normalizing meat that's just a normal thing it's it's normal and we our bodies need it right and some people will go so far as to say i only eat free range eggs or i only eat you know uh humane or you know um farm raised you know and and we all know the bullshit that that really is because it's still you know murdering animals you know, by choice, hmm. because that is, it's a choice. And people don't, they just think it's so normal that they don't even consider it a choice. The choice is not to eat meat, is to go vegan or vegetarian. But the default mode, the default position is eating meat. It's not, they don't think of it as I choose to eat animals. They really don't, because that creates the dissonance part of the dissonance is I'm an animal lover. So when, when I say, okay, well, I mean, you eat meat, right? Why don't you eat dog meat? Why don't you eat horse meat? Some cultures do. That's Mm -hmm. their meat. A lot of cultures would never eat cows. They're sacred. Mm -hmm. So We draw these distinctions, but it's like, you can see it like obviously, I've trained you to look for unconscious markers. You can see the dissonance, you can see the, you know, the incongruency inherent in thinking that you are one kind of person, an animal lover. My sister, Patty, she will post adorable animal videos on Facebook, right? With people singing, you know, playing music for cows and this and that. And yet, still eat meat. Mm. How does somebody acknowledge the the level of consciousness that an animal has, that they're funny or they're loving or they're caring or they cry when their babies are taken away? Or, you know what I mean? Or they mourn or they take in another species and mother it. We Mm. all love those videos. Everybody shares them. Everybody's like, oh my God, look at how cute. How can you say, look at how cute and then go out and order a steak that night. Yeah. Well, in order to do that, the compartmentalization, it has to be very clear. And so we don't use words like, um, you know, uh, animals. We don't say I eat animals. Nobody says that. They say I eat meat. Just like, you know, language, the power of words, as you know, it's like um, collateral damage. You know, friendly fire. There's a reason why we use these terms rather than soldiers killed by their own, their own comrades, right? Whether innocent people murdered because, you know, you dropped a bomb or something. We, We can't say that people would start to feel they would start to feel compassion that Cognitive dissonance would become so strong that they would have to make a stand. They would have to make a choice. So you're eating meat and it, you know, um, I had a, a friend of mine, she was somewhere, I forget what country, and they kept serving this dish that she loved so much. And when she got back to the States, she looked it up because she wanted to see if there was somewhere she could buy whatever it was. I forget what the, what they called it. And she found out it was horse meat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now this is someone who literally has horses, mm-hmm. and used and won many medals, you know, but in the horsing world. And the the turmoil she went through when she realized that the whole week that she was eating this thing that she loved, she was eating a horse. Yeah, was really unsettling, and she had to face that and would never do it again, certainly wouldn't order it, even though she loved it so much. And I would never write, it's not my place, unless someone is asking for my help to change their minds. It's really not my place. So I wouldn't say to her, well, you know, that's how I feel when you eat a a, a pig. That's how I feel. They're more loyal than dogs they're more intelligent than a toddler. Like in my mind, I've reached this point and I don't know when I crossed that line, but I crossed that line somewhere. And I look at a steak and it might as well be a dog. It might as well be a baby. That is how I would never put it in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like that is the where I'm at personally. Now, I am not always vegan. I'm always vegetarian, but I travel a lot. and there's certain things that I do when I travel, right? I am not full-on vegan because of pizza
0: <laughs> New Yorker
1: <You> know? <laughs> and um, and like so. I will occasionally eat, you know, eat eat cheese. Um, It's not a lot because more for the health reasons. And I too have a bit of cognitive dissonance here. I too have a little compartmentalization going on. When my two vegan sisters mention, you know, the cruelty involved in, you know, that cheese, even though, you know, uh, I don't buy cheese. I don't buy stuff like that to have in my refrigerator. I don't, you know, everything I bake and everything I cook is vegan. But I'll go to a pizza joint. I know it's not, you know, organic and farm raised wherever they're getting their cheese. So I have to somehow ignore that, right? Yep. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to eat it. And so I have to look at that inside of myself. How does that work? That's interesting, Melissa, right? Look at how you can do that. This is how people do it. They, number one, can't name it. Don't name it. Don't think of it in terms of, we have to, in the same way that soldiers, in order to go to war and kill other humans, we have to desensitize them to certain things. We have to dehumanize the enemy. We have to make them less than. Less than. And that is what we do right that that is what people do to you know pigs chickens cows turkeys they are less than their dogs their cats not in other cultures but certainly in in this culture and they have to do that in order to make it right now here's the other interesting thing right about cognitive dissonance we have a lot of other unconscious biases too many of them are in place to make us uh, feel good about who we are. So there are other things that are at play, like I eat meat, therefore, so there's something that's almost like, how do I explain it in a way that's easy? Um, If for example, uh, you lend someone a book, there's a very famous story about Benjamin Franklin, that there was some big, wig, rich person, uh, bad-mouthing Ben Franklin, you know, back in the day. And he was very wealthy and he had this amazing library. So Ben Franklin wrote him a letter saying, I have been in search of a book and I hear that you have one of the most extensive libraries. I'm I'm curious if you have this book and if you do, would you lend it to me? I know there's not many people here that would value such a thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you have it. So he, of course, lends the book. Now, what happens inside of an individual when they do something for another person? They have to somehow rationalize it and justify it inside if I've lent him a book, he must be a good person. He must be worthy of me lending him this book. So then all of a sudden in publications, he changed his tune and was now praising Benjamin Franklin. It also means that he is 70% more likely to do another good service for this person Mm -hmm. to justify his own behavior. Mm -hmm. So when people eat meat, or animals uh, uh, more uh, to the point, they have to somehow back justify it, right? Like, well, it's what my body needs. My body needs it to thrive, to be healthy. It's just what's done, it's the normal thing. Or they have to say, well, I only eat humane, humanely treated animals or they just keep it in a little box. The knowledge of slaughterhouses We don't say slaughter, we don't say pig, we don't say cow, we don't use these terms. Mm. We just don't look at it. We don't even say killed for the most part. And when you do, you make people very uncomfortable. Yeah, They do not like to have a vegan at their fucking dinner table because they feel judged even if the vegan doesn't say anything, just by their very existence at your table, they are showing that you have a different choice that you made. And that it's actually possible. And that it's possible and that they're choosing not to do the right thing. Because when pushed, a person who feels they are a good person, a person who has a dog and a cat, When pushed to justify their choices, it's flimsy ground, right? It's flimsy ground when you start to say, look, a plant-based diet is across the board the healthier option. I used to give out the book, you know, How Not to Die,
0: right? Right. That one, of course. Dr. Greger, yes.
1: And- it's just the research, Damn it! just read the research. Do you know people won't read it? They'll start and they'll realize where the message is going. And it's too hard to hold your sense of self that you are doing the right thing if you take away one of the biggest justifications for eating animals, which is I, my body needs it. Because that is to come back around to the mass hypnosis. That is the manipulation from an industry that is well-vested in you not knowing the truth. Milk, it does a body good. Well, does it? Does it really? Because here's all these research studies that prove that it doesn't. Right?
0: You know, you need your meat in order for your body to thrive. I love when they call it high-quality protein. Yes,
1: Exactly. And these are, these are the things that are just so a part of our culture that no one questions it. Number one, they don't question it because to question it would, they would then have to question their own personal choices and nobody wants to do that. They want to just remain in the norm. They want to remain in the, this is what's natural, right? God made the animals. They gave us dominion over the animals. The God made the animals for us to eat.
0: It also means kind of pointing a finger that maybe mom and grandma and granddad didn't know everything. Right. And the thing is, we none of us do. None of us none know of us everything. Do.
1: And that's why I tend to, you know, uh, lean on some of the research, you know, um, and just say, look, this is new. It's just coming out. Yes. And this way you couldn't have known. Yes. Right. Grandma couldn't have known. This is what they were told. And they and didn't they have didn't, these options. Right. They've been told this for a very long period, but not always. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when people look at, you know, the, the diets of the gladiators and how they refrained from eating meat before a fight mm. because it weakened them. You know, like if you really look at history comfort foods and foods of you know that that were mainstays it wasn't meat everyone likes to be like i'm paleo it's like Mm -hmm. really which dinosaurs Mm -hmm. (laughs) so true ones the biggest ones well they ate plants yeah
0: You know, you're, tu- you're touching on a lot of the things that you actually teach in your work. You talk about how we are meaning-making machines yes. um, as human beings. And so if we make a choice, then and it's the choice that we've been raised with, we will start making meaning, even if there is no uh, necessarily lobbyist group saying, or the cattlemen's, um, you know, I can't remember what their industry title is. But there, even if there's no lobbyist there, we're still thinking, oh, my mom gave it to me. It's probably going to make me big and strong and smart and functional. It's going to give me, you know, long hair and white teeth and <laughs> all yeah, the things we it, want. It's,
1: yeah, it's the norm. Yeah. And once we are part of the norm, we're herd animals. That's what people, you know, that's what I keep reminding everybody of. That's why being ostracized lights up pain centers in the brain. We're part of a herd and we like to be part of a group. And one of the things that does influence people's habits is when you say and convince them that the majority of people have decided to eat less meat. Then all of a sudden that becomes the norm and your choice to not eat less meat becomes a choice. Mm. And so part of the messaging and where, you know, where I feel like, you know, uh, veganism and uh, vegetarianism and the whole plant-based movement is finally now catching on, which is to use messaging not to shame not to blame because if you start to shame someone, they have to defend their identity. And once they defend it, you're actually strengthening it. Mm. They're gonna eat more freaking meat once you make them defend it. And so by, by influencing in a way that we know is proven, which is to play with the herd mentality. You know, for instance, they, when they were having people during a drought uh, try to conserve water, they did a test in certain buildings, right? Uh, apartment buildings. They would put signs like, there's a drought, you know, or, or, you know, for climate change, you know, please conserve your water, you know, take shorter showers. Here's some different ways you can conserve your water. And they, in in other buildings they put of your neighbors are taking, you know, five minute showers to conserve water. Mm. That is the building that showed the most amount of water uh, saved. All you have to do is start to, you know, um, hit the herd animal uh, triggers. (laughs) Yeah. You know, most people are doing this. And right now we can, you know, the the lobbying of the dairy, of the meat, of the, you know, egg, poultry, their lobbying is to keep the vegans as the fringe, as the, they're coming for your meat, just like they're coming for your guns. You know, we're hippies, we're crazy. And in the meantime, Melissa, they're buying a
0: lot of the plant-based um
1: products yeah because they know they because they know the way it's going yeah yeah but they're gonna hang on just like the fossil fuel industry they're gonna hang on as long as they can to milk just as much as they can but they're not stupid you know the 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 industry execs they hire people to follow trends so yeah they're buying beyond meat they're buying all of this stuff, and you know what? I I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that Burger King has an impossible burger. Me too. I'm happy, even though real, you know. Then you get the fringe, like you know. God damn it, the left is always eating each other. You know, they're like then they're, there's the fringe that's like, but you know, but that's man, you've, that's processed. That's not healthy. It's not this. It's not that. It's like you're right. It's junk food. People know when they're going to make, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and Kentucky Fried Chicken, they're going for junk food. Well, now there's vegan junk food. And you know what? If you can make a burger that tastes just like a regular burger, then more people will eat it. There has to be a bridge. And I am happy that they're starting to create that bridge. I used to have this fight with my, um, my late mother-in-law. She, you know, she was older and so she would forget and she would repeat the same things. And she she used to always say, I don't understand why you have these things that are meant to look like chicken nuggets or, you know, burgers. If you want a burger, just eat a burger. And Mm -hmm. I used to say, well, you know, and I would do it nicely, right? Because she's my mother-in-law. She was very conservative or, you know what I mean? Like a very different upbringing than, than my family, you know? And I would say, you know, people are raised with certain things. They like the taste of it. That's not why they're not eating it. And then 15 minutes later, she would say the same shit again. And I'm sitting there with my daughter who is eating fake chicken nuggets and fake, you know, fake uh, burgers when they have a barbecue at their shore house. And finally she had said it one too many times. And I lost my patience because (laughs) as, as you know, I've taught you willpower is, uh, is finite. You have a a tank when you wake up in the morning and by the evening, uh, you know, it's depleted. Now, when I visit my in-laws, I don't curse. Can you imagine? I don't talk politics. I don't curse. And I don't talk religion because they're conservative Republican uh, meat eaters. So in order for them, in order to keep the peace, I just, those are off the table. I am very good at finding other common ground, but that means that by the evening dinner time, my willpower has been used up just by not fucking cursing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh
1: And so I lost it one day at the table, where she said it for the third time after I explained it very nicely in terms that were just nice to everyone who was sitting there eating meat. I didn't wanna say some shit that was gonna make everyone uncomfortable because I didn't wanna do that. But she finally pushed me and I said, because we get the burger without the death. Do you get it? Nothing has died. Nothing has been hurt and murdered. Hmm. My meal. Yeah everything went quiet and i watched her go inside and then come back outside and say yeah it's just that i don't understand i mean if you want a burger you, you know you have a burger and it was like I, my outburst never happened
0: right back to yeah. her her square and, one yeah
1: the look on my daughter's face
0: mm.
1: was like oh my god and everyone else kind of had a moment Mm. And then I was like, sorry, people, I sorry, you know, like, I didn't know what else, what else to do. Anyway, there is a dissonance that even when thrown in your face, people quickly recover from it because to actually deal with what I just said would challenge them as well-meaning, caring, animal-loving Christians,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right and they that would just tear apart too many levels of self identity and so they had to just dismiss it like literally not even let it in
0: you know with a lot of the people that come come towards me find this podcast or work with me they typically are wrestling with that dissonance and they have decided they want to think about it. They want to think about being vegetarian or moving in that direction or plant based or vegan. They like the idea, but they think, "Christ, it's it's too late, and it won't be enough, and it's impossible." So that's where their brain is now. And let me
1: share for those people. Right, right now we're we we've been brutal. We've been talking about, you know. <laughs> Me thinking eating a steak is just as bad as eating a dog, which I, which in my heart, I do think that. But the truth is, when I am dealing with clients who are wanting to get healthier, when I talk about plant based, I just talk about the research. I don't talk about the psychological aspects of eating animals ever. What I talk about is some of the research done. On, you know, where I'll share, you know, an interesting tidbit no one wants to talk about, Um, but it has changed the amount of chicken my daughter will eat. She eats it very rarely. When I say, do you know that people are basically handling chicken in a hazmat suit? Because just by packaging it, people wind up in hospitals with toxic poisoning. Yeah. You know, when you look at what has to happen in order to make those, you know, McDonald's french fries, even. And you start to look at the industry and that it has to be off-gassed all the toxic
0: chemicals. So we go for- The human beings themselves are put in jeopardy for right. some of these things, we, yes. we go
1: for the health aspects. We go for, look, I can show you doctors that treat their diabetic patients with you know a plant-based diet and how it reverses diabetes. Do some research, look at the people that have had chronic inflammation, chronic pain. And in two weeks of eating, of doing a plant-based experiment, they're off their medications. So I never say go vegan. I say, do a freaking experiment. Prove me wrong. What harm is there? In going two weeks, McDonald's is still gonna be there when you're done, trust me. The hamburger is still gonna be there. It ain't going anywhere, right? The industry has done a damn good job of convincing everybody that the very thing that is causing 500,000 deaths in this country every year is good for them. They've done such a great hypnotic campaign to condition you to believe the very opposite of what is factually correct. And that is a damn powerful industry you're going up against. You know what, Oprah had the audacity to say, eat less red meat. And they sued her for millions, right? For years she was in court. Because she had the audacity to speak the truth. Because there isn't a single cardiologist out there who is not going to agree that eating less red meat is healthier for your heart. And yet heart disease kills hundreds of thousands of people every year. That is lifestyle choices. People are dying by their choices, but they don't think that. They're just living a normal life.
0: Yeah, they don't feel that they're making choices, right? Right.
1: What we live is abnormal. That is a a choice that is just weird. It's for Burning Man people. It's for hippies. It's
0: weird. <laughs> well, that's why I think sometimes that I I, I have a role here because I'm I'm uh, I'm 64. I did not become vegan until my mid 50s, and I feel like I am not. I do not have dreadlocks. I was not a childhood vegan. I don't. I didn't have an eating disorder. I didn't have all the things that they throw at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and it was hard for me. And I, the last thing that I hid behind was my family. I thought, no way after all the, uh, you know, I'm going to just disrupt everything. I, It's like bait and switch. I ate everything. I cooked everything. And now I'm going to say no.
1: Well, what you're going to do is you're just going to start to drop a little bit of knowledge here and there, right? Yeah. Like sometimes just like, oh my God, I read this study. It's crazy, but one of the biggest contributors to so many different types of cancer is like the cured meats processed meats like i had no freaking idea and you say it like that like oh my god i just read this i had no idea that this was so harmful and people are like wow i didn't know that either really and all of a sudden you're inviting them to question, you're you're taking the defensiveness away. Mm. You're taking the, I need to protect my very identity, the identity of my parents and my grandparents. No, you're taking that off the table. You're literally saying, holy shit, I just read this research study. It's kind of freaking me out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? You say, did you know that you know the majority of poultry that that chicken can be far worse than red meat for your body because we we all agree, right? Chicken's healthier. Chicken's the healthier choice at a restaurant, right? That's what we all thought. How weird is it to find out? You know, so you say it like that, and you blame the research. You don't blame the individual. Right. Don't come off like, you know, I am better than you because I am making a choice that's compassionate. But the cool thing is people that do start to look at this people that do start to make changes. There's that, that reverse propping up of ego that has to happen. Right. In the same way that I said, people that eat meat, have to utilize a lot of the internal filtering systems, the heuristics and the unconscious biases to uh, shore up their decision-making, to shore up their ego. Well, once you start to eat more plant-based foods, that also kicks in. And so you have to start to self-justify who you are. Well, I'm making this choice for the environment i'm making this choice to be a part of the solution because the biggest contributor to climate change is the fucking beef industry you know like nobody wants to look at that so 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 hit them in in different ways and then they then they actually do become more compassionate in general it starts to cross contexts so that people are more compassionate they're less prejudiced they're less racist they start to look at You know, um, beings as being, (laughs) they start to justify themselves as being a more compassionate person, thereby changing their behavior as well as their beliefs. So there's, you know, there's a lot, but for your job, when you help people who are on the fence, just talk about the research, gather little, little points, don't sit there with a lecture.
0: Right, just never
1: shit. Did you like what I say to my sister? Holy shit! Did you know there's a research study that just eating two Brazil nuts lowers cholesterol for two weeks? Is that crazy? You give them small little things they can do, actionable things they can do, right? And there's a book I remember called um, "How to Change When Change is Hard." And they talk about little actionable things. What can you do? Well, you know what? I asked myself, can I add beans to this? Whatever I'm cooking, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: you know,
1: can I add some beans? Because did you know that just a few servings of beans, whether it's hummus, chickpeas, black beans, do you know that that reduces your risk of stroke and heart disease by fucking 70%? Like that gets to people. People are like, holy shit, really? I can add beans to things.
0: Yeah, because that we're not sense. we're not protein deficient as a culture. We are fiber deficient right. overwhelmingly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So when I talk about, you know, look, here's how I make a salad, I think about what what do I need? Did you know that just adding a little purple cabbage to your salad amps up every single phytonutrient in all the other vegetables? So why not do the hack? So I give little things and I make it curious and interesting. I say, look, if you're going to eat a muffin, did you know that you should eat a blueberry muffin? (laughs) Because the blueberries literally grab calories and flush them out your system. Hmm. And people are like, holy shit, I'm going to eat blueberries with my next piece of cake. You know, it's like little things that people can do. Again, don't blame the person. Ever. I
0: agree. Never
1: talk. You talk about the research. Don't make it a moral thing. Don't put them in front of their, you know, moral, uh, behavioral deficiencies, right? Like you pet your dog, you're petting your dog right now and you're eating a hot dog. Like, don't do that. People can't handle it. They really can't handle it. And so too many people uh in the vegan world they do get on their high horse they do beat people over the head and so you know there's that old joke right how do you know when someone's vegan and the they answer you. <laughs> well the answer is spend 2 minutes with them uh, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah they and tell you right away so, yeah
1: and so it really becomes and they and honestly they give they give vegans a bad name even though we love them and they're doing good in the world and they're trying to convince people to be better people and more compassionate and trying to save the planet, but because they're doing it in such a vocal way without this understanding, the subtleties of convincing an unconscious mind.
0: (laughs) For sure. Because, you know, that's why this, this podcast is called called veg your best because if you could go vegan overnight you would have you don't need to you don't need any help from anybody <laughs> like the, right. you don't need any help from me so the thing is once you have learned that you I mean I used to always say I never thought that I could be vegan until I stopped just repeating that thought and I thought well what could I kind of do what part could I do
1: now, what little move can I make today that's right what choice can I make and you know and a lot of times people like Oh my god! Well, what would I do without milk? You know, I mean, don't you like? What do you do? And I'm like, really? Do you know how many more choices I have than you? Yeah. I'm like, you know, for my cereal, I like oat milk. You know, for my for my uh, espresso, I like a little almond milk. For my, you know, for, for a yummy smoothie, sometimes a horchata rice milk. You know, it's like. I have all these yummy choices. You just haven't tried them. You're still thinking of the old fashioned soy milk that tastes like shit. Yeah. Just like you're still thinking that vegan food tastes like, you know, cardboard. Well, in almost every city, there's a Michelin starred chef now doing a plant-based restaurant. Go and see what it really is about.
0: That's right. Yeah. Somebody, somebody recently said to me that doesn't vegan food taste like 1973.
1: <laughs> and you're like, no, honey, vegan food tastes like 2025. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because seriously, the research is in, there is a damn good reason why all these famous chefs now are starting to, you know, entertain vegan menus. That's because the research is conclusive a plant-based diet is a healthier diet you will live 10 to 15 more fucking years and they'll be healthier years
0: well i'll tell you i'll I'll be very mad if that's not true for me melissa i will be very mad Listen, Melissa, I want to hear, I want you to tell everybody uh, what you're doing in the fall. I think it's in September. You've got another cohort going through, right? With um... yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, we. I, I teach a, a course with my friend and former student, Simone Soul, and it's a big, basically, it's my Coaching the Unconscious Mind course. And it is, uh, in my not so humble opinion, the best coaching course ever created, simply because Most coaching courses don't deal with the things we've been talking about, which is how do I understand the unconscious patterns people are running that keep them stuck? How do I understand what's going on in the brain? So it's really a course on practical neuroscience, on helping people to change. It's called integrative change work, because we have a lot of outreach programs that we're, we're starting where, you know, sometimes the the title of coaching has a very, um, has certain neuro associations to it. That's very upper-class white and not necessarily what a lot of our students are are, are doing, mm-hmm. uh, which is bringing these you know change work skills to uh, people that need them the most, to communities in need, to different countries, things like that. So it's a coaching course, it's over three months. And it's pretty awesome. And if you want to check it out, just look up Integrative Change Work. You'll get our um, very long descriptive uh, uh, registration page that should answer all your questions. And um, it's fun. It's where I put all of my energy this year, um, certainly into making it the, the best learning and integrative course we could come up with. And then Simone really teaches you how to Uh, build a really authentic business where it's congruent and it has a heart and it's getting you in touch with the spirit of your own um, entrepreneurial stewardship. Mm -hmm. And so it's very different than the kind of standard marketing ideas and promoting ideas out there. Uh, It is very different. And so that's why I teamed up with her because I had zero interest in marketing, promotion, things like that. It was truly a gap uh, in my training. I used to train people to be the best change workers they could be, whether that was through my hypnosis training, my coaching training, my practical neuroscience training, and I've kind of brought it all together. Um, But I've never taught them how to then build a practice because originally I was training therapists and psychiatrists who already had thriving practices. So I never put my mind towards it. If they were just starting out, I would point them to Simone or someone else, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing this fall. And, uh, you know, you can kind of follow me on Instagram, Melissa Tears, at Melissa Tears. And
0: we will have all of those links in the show notes. And in in Melissa's course with Simone, you will learn a lot of, um, which I took earlier this year, um, you will learn a a lot of things um, that you can use Instantly, (laughs) instantly. Uh, You know, I was recently, uh, people who listen to the podcast know I was on a, I was standing with my husband in a train for five and a half hours going from, uh, Northern England to London in May. I mean, literally body to body, totally overpacked train, which, and, um, and i used the peripheral <laughs> the peripheral technique the entire time i just to quiet the 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 words in my head that were like this is ridiculous i can't believe this this can't possibly be <laughs> happening to me this must be a human rights violation in some way that was what was going through my brain but the peripheral uh, technique peripheral vision technique um, I, I can't remember how you call it, but that was the technique that just got me to zoom out and quiet out and yes. just like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here.
1: Part of me as as your teacher, I would have preferred as well, but after about an hour, you look someone directly in their face that was sitting and saying, I think my knee is giving out. Can we <laughs> Can we switch just for a little bit?
0: Well, you know what? I agree with you. I I, uh, I, I, um, I did believe they were a very nice bunch of people on that British train. And I do believe that if I could not have handled it, I would have been able to. Someone would have switched with me for a while. But I do the, think you know, that what that would've I would
1: have done is I would have started a conversation. I would have said, hey, you do know that they say that sitting is the new smoking. Right. Good that point. You, and, that point. You should, and that you should stand up every 40 minutes. So how about we play a game, people, because we're standing here for five hours. How about we just switch? Just for 15 minutes, can I get a seat? And I guarantee
0: everyone would have stood up. Well, you would have hypnotized them.
1: (laughs) Well, not even. I would have just appealed to their humanity because I feel that when you actually look human to human. No matter what political side you're on, no matter what meat or not meet side you're on, human to human, we connect. And I think people would have said, oh, my God, of course I can stand for 20
0: minutes. Please have a seat. That is a beautiful thought. And I think I was afraid that if, you know what, you, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, what if they had said no?
1: They would have said, ah, sucks to be you, sir. How about you, ma'am?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point.
1: Do you consider yourself a nice person? (laughs) Oh, you wouldn't have. I would have had so much fun on that train.
0: Oh, you probably would have. Where were you? Melissa Tears, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast with me. You have uh, been a tremendous inspiration. Uh, Your work with Simone has been really very, just really inspiring for me. And and I love the work that you do.
1: I wasn't prepared to talk about um, every single thing that we talked about. I thought you invited me on because I kept posting my vegan baking recipes. And I literally thought you wanted me to come on to talk about vegan baking. I would have done a little bit more homework had I thought I was going to go into the, you know, I would have like had some of the other cognitive biases that are at play for meat eaters had I known. But anyway, it was fun. (laughs) Can we share one of your recipes? Of course. I would say my... um. Uh, you know, I posted on Instagram uh, and 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 Facebook one of my favorite recipes, which is the um, the orange blossom sweet potato pie. That really, there's not a single person that tries that pie that would think it was vegan. Number one, and that isn't floored. And mm. also, my my vegan chocolate cake, which is really my sister Lori's vegan chocolate cake. She used to do a lot of vegan baking for my brother's old restaurant. So. Anyway, yeah, sure. I'm happy to share it. (laughs) Okay,
0: so when this comes out, we'll share those recipes. Thank you, Melissa. So, so what did you think? What did you think of Melissa Tears? You know, I hope if anything about what we discussed intrigued you, that you'll go directly to Melissa's Instagram page where you will get regular snippets, really usable concepts and ideas that you'll be able to um, use immediately to create change in your life right here right now small distinctions and and also large life-changing sorts of distinctions i think there is so much in her work that can help us whether our challenge is moving towards a vegan practice uh, being compassionate to people who are having trouble making change in their lives it can be used to reduce unwanted behaviors increased desired behaviors. You know, our unconscious is a fascinating place. Uh, I, I know I'm speaking for myself. My, my unconscious is beyond. Is that what the kids say? Beyond. So, okay, my Veg Your Besties. I'll be linking to Melissa's vegan recipes that we mentioned briefly. Um, I will be doing that on Instagram. So please look for that, Veg Your Best on Instagram. And as always, all the links for Melissa Tears, that's T-I-E-R-S. All the links for Melissa Tears, her coaching course, which is open for enrollment now, her social media, it'll all be in the show notes. So, okay. You've got a little more August left. Just a little. TikTok, Get out there and veg your best. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So, until next week, make it easy and veg your best.